Turn to Second Chronicles chapter one. Second Chronicles chapter one. Looking at tonight a strange separation, a strange separation. Second Chronicles chapter one. Right. And Brother Titus, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? Amen. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter one. And let's read the first six verses there. Second Chronicles one and verse one. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. Then Solomon spake unto all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges, and to every governor in all Israel, the chief of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought up from kirjath Jearim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Moreover, the brazen altar that Bezaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. So Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. We find here a strange situation that I never really realized until recently. And you know how sometimes when you're reading the Bible, things just kind of stand out to you that maybe you didn't see before. And, and I had never noticed this before, a strange separation. Um, in verse 3 there, Solomon and all the congregation with him are going to the high place at Gibeon. Um, and the reason was, goes on to say, that, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. So this was the tabernacle that Moses had made in the wilderness. That was at Gibeon. Uh, but then verse 4 says, but the what? The ark of God had David brought up from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at where? Jerusalem. I had never noticed this before. The tabernacle is at Gibeon, which uh, Google Maps say Gibeon is 5.8 miles from Jerusalem. So almost six miles away 
And I never noticed this. So I just assumed when David brought the ark up, and, and you remember when Uzzah touched the ark, God smote him and he died. Um, I just assumed when the, we're going to look at some verses here in a minute. I just assumed that when David brought the ark, he brought the tabernacle with him. And we'll, we'll look at a verse here. But he, he didn't. So there was this time where the ark of God was in Jerusalem, but the tabernacle, the altar, uh, the altar of incense, um, was all at Gibeon. And I thought, that is strange. The ark of God was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But David had taken that the ark of the covenant, the ark of testimony, it's called both, and he brought it to Jerusalem and left all the, the, the priests and everything there that they did was at Gibeon. I thought, that is a strange, strange separation. I thought, why? Why did this happen? Um, if you hold your place here, if you'd turn to 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6. I thought, why, why would you pull the ark away from the tabernacle? 2 Samuel 6.15, and we'll read 15 through 17. 2 Samuel 6.15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked <clears throat> through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of what? Tabernacle. Um, we're going to talk about that word in just a minute. And I always assumed that he would brought the whole tabernacle with him because of the way this is worded. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So it said um, David put it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle. Now the word tabernacle means tent. So the tabernacle was a mobile, um, like a mobile temple. Later on the temple would be built, but it, it was mobile. That's why it was a tent, because Israel and the wilderness were on the go. They were headed to the promised land. So uh, the ark was uh, in the tabernacle, the, the tent. Um, it says here that, that David put it in the tabernacle that he pitched. Um, but if we go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 4. Now, we already have seen in verse 3, 2 Chronicles 1, 3, that Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle, and this is what's important to read. It specifies 
what tabernacle? What tent? It says, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which who? Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. So Solomon is leading the congregation 5.8 miles away to Gibeon to the tabernacle which Moses had made. Verse 4 then says, But the ark of God had David brought up from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it. Solomon's going up to the tabernacle that Moses had made in the wilderness. Back to Jerusalem here, David put the ark where, in a place where he had prepared. And then it says in verse 4, for he had pitched what? A tent for it at Jerusalem. So this was the tent, and the Bible specifies now, lest we be confused. What are you talking about? Are there two tabernacles? Well, tabernacle just means tent. Verse 3 specifically tells us they were, Solomon was leading the congregation to the tabernacle which Moses had made in the wilderness. Verse 4, but the ark is in the tent which David had prepared for it. What does this mean? Well, if you go to Exodus 26, Exodus 26 in verse 33, just a very strange situation here. Exodus 23, excuse me, Exodus 26, uh, verses 33 and 34. Exodus 26, 33. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tax that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. So the most holy place was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet high. And in that, Within the veil, so you got the tabernacle, but within the tabernacle, an inner chamber, 30 feet by 30 feet, covered with curtains, and in the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testament. And on top of this box, which was like 27 inches square, and I believe it was 45 inches long, um, Okay, let's see. Yes, it was, uh, I don't have that. That's something different here. But I I believe that's what it was, was um, a box 45 inches long, maybe a little off on the length, but 27 inches square then. So it's not a big box. And the mercy seat was the exact same dimensions. So the mercy seat sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Lord, as we'll see here, the Lord would appear above that mercy seat. And so the high priest was supposed to put incense on the incense altar, which was supposed to then uh, fill the tabernacle with a cloud uh, from the incense. And then the Lord would appear in that cloud above the mercy seat. So what this means is that The tabernacle that Moses made, that Solomon was going to, 
leading the congregation to, the Holy of Holies was empty. It was empty because the ark was back in Jerusalem in the tent that David had pitched for it. And it's like uh, a little mind-boggling at first. David, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you bring the whole thing to you in Jerusalem? Let's look at Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 and verse 12. Leviticus 16, 12, we'll read through 14. Verse 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the what? The mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So that's explaining about uh, the cloud I was talking to you there. So, um, okay, how are you going to do this? Then once in a year, once a year, when the priest was to take blood in within the veil and put it on, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which is on the top of the ark, how are you going to do that when it's not there? I mean, are you going to put incense in the tabernacle on the altar of incense? Are you going to make a cloud six miles long that's going to reach down to the ark and cover it? Or that once a year when the priest would have to bring in blood and sprinkle it on the ark, on the mercy seat, how are you going to do that? Because the altar is back in Gibeon. Who is going, who and how are you going to get the blood to the ark and to the mercy seat, which David has down in Jerusalem? Very, very strange situation. I never, I never noticed it when it said David had a tabernacle for the ark there. I assumed that was the tabernacle where all the priests were, but we we find in Second Chronicles 1 here, Solomon is taking all the congregation up there to Gibeon. Um, so what are we seeing here? Well, obviously a very strange situation, but in it there are types. Well, what is a type? Well, a type in Merriam-Webster's 11th Collegiate Dictionary is defined, and it's the very first definition of the word type. It says a person or thing, as in the Old Testament, believed to foreshadow another person or thing in the New Testament. So even that's a secular dictionary, and it's hitting a nail right on the head and with the very first definition of the word type. So a type is a prophecy, an illustration of something to come. So we're seeing an illustration here in the life of David. The priestly tribe was the tribe of what? Levi. David was from the tribe of Judah. So the Christ, um, 
the sacrifice for our sins is going to come through the line of Judah, not Levi. Um, So we're seeing here some pictures that God wanted to show where the king is, is bringing the ark, which symbolizes the presence of God, to Jerusalem. But the sacrifices, David was offering sacrifices on his own altars, but the altar that Bezalel made, um, notice in, we're in 2 Chronicles 1 again, 1 5. 2 Chronicles 1 5. Moreover, the brazen altar that who? Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made. That was, he, that was the man, that was the altar that, was made, that made the altar for the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. So that altar was back in Gibeon. You know, God's people made other altars and places and offered up to the Lord, but the altar of the tabernacle is back there. So what does all this mean? What is it a picture of? The presence of God is separated from the sacrifices. What does all this mean? And why didn't God stop it? You may say, well, they weren't supposed to worship in high places and God should have judged Solomon uh, for leading the congregation away from the presence of God to the tabernacle where the Holy of Holies was, what? Empty. But God didn't judge Solomon for doing that. In fact, God did a marvelous and miraculous thing. Look in verse 7. So in verse 6, remember that it was there at Gibeon, There at the altar, verse 5, that Bezalel had made, a brazen altar, Solomon went up there and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. Verse 7, in that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Does it sound like God is mad at Solomon? No. He's just led the whole congregation up there to the tabernacle uh, that Moses made and is empty in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God is back in Jerusalem. But he goes up there and offers a thousand burnt offerings and God says, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give it to you. You say, this is really mind-boggling. It's really strange. A very strange situation. Um, let's go to Hebrews 7. <clears throat> oh, let's stop here just a second. I, okay, so verse 7, And that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Give me now what? Wisdom and knowledge 
that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? And God said to Solomon, because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Verse 12, <clears throat> wisdom and knowledge is what? Granted unto thee. And I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. I would dare say God is not unhappy with Solomon. He has just given him, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give it to you. Solomon says, I would like wisdom, Lord, to judge thy people. God says, granted. I'll give you wisdom and knowledge. And because you asked for that and you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for uh, long life, you didn't ask for your enemies uh, to be slain, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these things for you, Solomon. In fact, verse 12, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do so much for you, there's never going to be another wealthier king than you, Solomon, or one with so much wisdom. You're going to be the tops. No, I dare say that there's something in here we need to see because he just led the people from Jerusalem 5.8 miles to the tabernacle that's empty in the Holy of Holies. There's got to be something here to see. Let's go to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, and let's read verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 7, 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of who? Judah, the tribe of Judah, of which Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. We're seeing a picture here. David, the king. Jesus is going to come in the line of David. David, the king says, bring the ark here to Jerusalem. David, who gave you this authority? I thought the whole tabernacle system was under the authority of the Levites, Aaron, and the tribe of Levi. But David, the word of the king, stands. The presence of God, the ark of God, is brought to Jerusalem. This is picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone questioned his authority. The Bible never says they did. But I just wonder, now that I see the whole picture, that David didn't really bring all the priests in the tabernacle of Moses to Jerusalem, 
He set up his own tabernacle and tent for it. Solomon goes back and the priests are still there in Gibeon offering the sacrifices because that was where he offered a thousand burnt offerings um, up there at, at Gibeon. So um, if we go to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2 and verse 9, Hebrews 2, 9. The Bible says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And then if we could drop down to verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14, we'll read through 17. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he, and it's referring to Jesus, might be a merciful and faithful, what? High priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. I don't know if anyone questioned David on this, but the king made this decision. David out of the tribe of Judah, made this decision. The presence of God, the ark of God, is going to be at Jerusalem. And we don't read of anyone questioning him, but when the root of David, the offspring of David, the Lord Jesus Christ comes along, they do question his authority, which makes me wonder if anyone did back then. But Matthew 21 Matthew 21 and verse 23. Matthew 21, 23. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what? Authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? With them saying that to Jesus, I just wonder if David was questioned, who gave you this authority to move the ark to you? Um, they questioned Jesus' authority. But it was through the tribe of Judah that Jesus would come. Through the tribe of Judah that the sacrifice for our sins would be paid Jesus, the root and offspring of David, Jesus would be the very presence of God, God in the flesh. Um, notice in John chapter 1, John 1. This has got to be a big picture in this. Um, who gave David the authority to move the ark out of the tabernacle? 
Uh, John 1, 14. And the word was made, what? Flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Bring the very presence of God to Jerusalem. Notice in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, and let's read verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the what? The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. And then what? The Mighty God. And then what? The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of the Increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of who? David. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's so many pictures and types I do not pretend to scratch the surface of what all this meant. I, I'm just looking at it and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here just um, ahead. Okay, you've, you've got the whole priestly system up in Gibeon offering sacrifices, but you have the presence of God in Jerusalem in the ark and it, it's picturing what is going to happen when Jesus comes on the scene in the fact that the whole uh, priestly system was thoroughly corrupt in Jesus' day. Who was it that was Jesus' biggest enemies? Who was it that cried out for his death? It was the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. And what a picture this is. There was a disconnect that happened. The whole priestly system was so corrupt. They did not know the Lord. In John 8, 44, Jesus would tell them, you're of your father, the devil. Um, this, in part, is, is a type of, of that which, which was to come. It would be the tribe of Judah, David, with the authority as king, bring the ark to Jerusalem. The presence of God is going to dwell here. And yet the whole priestly system was operating over there in Gibeon. Um, so Solomon, but then you say, okay, I understand that. Jesus comes through the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the presence of God. He is God in the flesh. I understand that the priestly system was corrupt in his day. That's why John the Baptist was born to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias was a priest. That means John the Baptist would be a priest. Uh, when, when Zacharias was praying for a son, it was his lot to burn incense in the tabernacle, which he was doing. Uh, so, okay, I understand that, but then... Why was Solomon blessed by leading 
the congregation to the tabernacle of the congregation when there was nothing up there in the Holy of Holies. Hmm. Okay, what, what picture is that giving? Um, he's, he's leading the congregation away from the ark, the presence of God. He's, he's leading the congregation to be separated from the presence of God and to offer sacrifices up here. What, what can that mean? Well, as I said, there's, there's many types and things. I don't pretend to know it all by any means, but I, 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 in pondering this, I thought, you know, in that it's the same today. Um, we are the congregation of the Lord. We, we are washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've acknowledged him as our Lord and Savior. Uh, and, but we've never seen him. We've never seen him. Um, notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. 1 Peter 1, 8. So why is Solomon so blessed? He's, he's led them up there. He's offered a thousand burnt offerings and the ark is not even there. The symbolizing the mercy seat is not there. It's, it's in Jerusalem. 1 Peter 1, 8. Whom having what? Not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet what? Believing. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Today, God calls us to lead our families, um, our congregation, to, to love and serve God but we haven't seen his physical presence. We, we are separated from his physical presence. His physical presence upon earth, the disciples watched ascend back into heaven. Let's go there, Acts 1. Um, that's the last time Jesus' physical presence, his, his real body of flesh, was here on earth. The disciples watched his Real physical presence, leave the earth. Acts 1, verse 9. We'll read 9 through 11. <clears throat> Acts 1, 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in what? Like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming in his real physical presence. When we, we talked about this morning, but when we are raptured, when we are caught up in the clouds, we are going to see Jesus in his glorified body. He's, and we're going to have our glorified bodies in that moment in the twinkling of an eye. Um, so Jesus is God. He's everywhere present. Notice in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Matthew 28, 20. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am what? With you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So Solomon's leading the people away from that visible presence. But in that sense, it's a picture of, you know, we, the congregation of God, need to serve God with all of our hearts to love him and serve him. And that's what Solomon was leading the people to do, his own heart. What did he ask? He cared about his people. He, he, his, his one request was, Lord, give me wisdom to judge thy people. Give me, God granted him that wisdom and knowledge. His, his one request was, God, give me wisdom how to rightly guide your people. And that pleased God. Um, if you go to Luke 12, Luke chapter 12, so today, there's a picture there for us today. We are separated from Jesus' physical presence. And, and Peter, we, we love him, the one that we have never seen. We love him. And we serve him. In Luke 12, 31. Luke 12, 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to, uh, to give you the kingdom. Uh, so Solomon asked for wisdom. It pleased God. And so... In this, in this strange situation, we see these, these picture stories for us, these illustrations. So we're in life right now in the same situation. We're in a strange situation. Um, we are separated from our Savior. We are separated from the very physical presence of Jesus. And yet we're called upon with that same sincerity of heart to love him and serve him and to care more about God's people than ourselves. We saw that this morning. We have all have duties. The priests were back there in Gibeon, 5.8 miles away from the ark. They were carrying on all the sacrifices that they were told to do. And although the picture for us is this, although we are in a, uh, in a strange situation of separation in our lives, we are separated from the physical presence of our Savior, and yet we are called upon to serve him faithfully. Um, notice in Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, and verse, Hebrews 13, and we'll read verses 15 and 16. So what do we do? We're separated from the very physical presence of Christ. Uh, but what should we be doing? Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer what? The sacrifice of praise. Yes, we have sacrifices to make too. Just like the priests. The priests were up there faithfully offering the sacrifices, but they were separated from the very presence, the physical presence the ark and the mercy seat. 
By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving what? Thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such what? Sacrifices God is what? Well, please. If you go back with me to 2 Chronicles 1, you know what we find here? God was well pleased with what Solomon had asked. Strange situation, but God is well pleased. In 2 Chronicles 1, 11, And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet has asked long life, but has asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. God was well pleased. And in Hebrews 13, God is well pleased with our sacrifice of thanks to him. Um, another thing, um, and we'll, there's, there's so many types and illustrations we could give here, but I wanted to hit on just one last one short and quickly here. Back in Hebrews 13, in verse 12, this was picturing, prophesying some future things that were going to happen. Okay, the ark is in Jerusalem. The ark is in the city of David. But the sacrifices are outside of the city. In fact, 5.8 miles away. Um, Hebrews 13.12 tells us this. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered where? Without the gate. You see, Calvary, Golgotha, was outside the gate of Jerusalem. It wasn't within the city. It was outside the gate. And this whole strange situation pictured that very thing. The presence of God is in the city, but the sacrifice is happening outside of the city. That's another type of the Lord Jesus Christ and what would happen. Um, so what does it mean to us? Hebrews 13, 12. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Verse 13. Let who? Us go therefore unto him where? Without the camp, bearing what? His reproach. This whole setup is a picture for us. Where is the presence of God? Where is the very physical presence of Jesus right now? Where is his glorified body right now? It's in heaven. He ascended, he's in heaven. But the Lord wants us. As verse 13 says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Well, this is the camp. Um, 
The congregation is here. This is where we enjoy sweet fellowship. We enjoy singing the praises of God. We thank the Lord. Uh, we enjoy this. But the Lord is asking us, verse 13, let us, therefore, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus left the city, walked to Calvary, to Golgotha, and gave his blood for our sins. He went without the gate. What is God telling us? God is calling us now to go outside of the gate. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing what? His reproach. We may have to do that tomorrow. There may be some people that scoff at the things of God. People that we would then say, wait a minute, don't do that. This is real. Give them the scripture. Whatever they're bringing up, give them the scripture. No, this, this is a fact. This is going to happen. And Jesus went outside of the gate to bear our sins. And now he's asking us, verse 13, to go forth, therefore, without the camp, bearing his reproach. This week, this whole strange situation we've looked at tonight is a picture that we face Every day, isn't it? The very physical presence of Christ is in heaven. But he's with us. We've seen the scripture tonight. And he's asking us to bear his reproach. What is it, what's in it for us? If I can ask that question. What did we see this morning? Um, when, when Rebecca thought more of, of this man and his animals than herself when she was ambitious what happened what was in it for her well she didn't do it for what was in it for her she didn't have that motive but what what was in it for her that she didn't even know because it was the test and she passed it she we saw this morning she was given great jewels of silver and gold and you know what those camels that she offered to water you know what? She rode on those camels back to meet her groom. Um, so there's, there's just so many types and pictures of this whole situation. Maybe you had seen that before in your reading, but I, I never had that the ark, the, the mercy seat on the ark, the very picturing, the very presence of God was in Jerusalem. But the sacrifices, the priests, the tabernacle that Moses had made is 5.8 miles away. Strange situation, but many pictures for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we think of so many pictures in this, in this event, what, what happened actually a situation that went on for many years. And yet it was portraying, it was picturing, it was illustrating what was to come. That the true sacrifice for sins would be made outside of the gate. 
And Father, I pray that you would help us, even as Solomon leading the congregation, to faithfully serve you, to faithfully offer a sacrifice to you, in our case, a sacrifice of praise. And my, how you blessed him for leading the congregation at that time in the right way. I pray you'd help us, Lord, in, in trying to lead our families. I pray even though we have not seen you yet, that we would faithfully serve you by faith until that day we do meet you, see you. Have your way in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.